0: So this morning I want to say, good morning. It's great to be with you. I'm Pastor Randy Lovelace, and I serve here as lead pastor. I want to welcome all of you who are visiting with us, those who are members and regular attenders, those who are joining us on the live stream. And before we get started this morning, I would like to take a moment to pray. And um, I'm not sure, I, although I asked around, um, not sure what your tradition is of pastoral prayers one led by a pastor and taking an opportunity to pray for what is on my heart and for this congregation. Because Becca spoke to it a few minutes ago, many of us enter into this room this morning with heavy hearts. Many of us are overwhelmed. It's very hard to even countenance the fact that we are yet seeing again something that is impacting the entire globe, the future potentially of the entire continent of Europe. It's hard to take in. But it also is not just something that's out there, that something is also being experienced in here. That though we know a war is waging, there's all kinds of wars that are going on in our hearts, perhaps cold wars in the midst of friendships and marriages And we have a marriage seminar that is happening here this weekend that's been taking place on our campus. And I want to pray for those lives and those marriages. Because we need to call out the name of Jesus. But I want to be clear. Calling out the name of Jesus on that which we pray about doesn't automatically mean that those things change. But what other name in whose authority we've been called to cry out. If you are a believer, I want to encourage you to call out the name of Jesus in whatever is in your hearts. Perhaps what I will pray will not connect at all with you, but I trust that the Holy Spirit will guide you to pour out your heart to him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, you invited us to call on your name. You have declared that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. But I confess, and we confess, that it is hard to trust that promise. In the midst of the promise of your authority, We wonder why you are not acting in the way in which we would want you to act, either personally in our lives or in the events in our world. And yet we come to you and we pray first Lord, help us to believe and forgive us for our unbelief. But in the name of Jesus, we pray for the country of Ukraine. This morning, no doubt, in the midst of those preparing to protect the largest city in this country, Kyiv, we know that there are believers who are worshiping. We know that there are Christians who are praying for their country. We know there are families trying to escape. We know that there are many huddled in subway tunnels, There are families that are being ripped apart. There are people who are going to war who could not have imagined that this is where they would be. Lord, we ask you, end this nightmare. May you frustrate every single plan of the Russian government to take over this democratic country. Frustrate every plan. And we pray for their freedom. We pray for their flourishing, and we ask you, Lord, for mercy. We ask you, Lord, that bloodshed would end. But, Lord, it is a picture of human hearts, all of it. We are weary, and we are tired, and it is overwhelming. Much less dealing with a pandemic, much less dealing with all the consequences of that pandemic in our own lives and our families' lives. Father, in the midst of all these things, we still suffer everyday brokenness brokenness in friendships, brokenness in marriages and families. Lord, have mercy in the name of Jesus. Please breathe. Healing into the lungs of your people. And may you bring any warring parties and families and marriages, in friendships and neighborhoods and in nations, Lord, breathe peace. Because up to us, we confess that even we, like our own little wars, forgive us, cleanse us of our pride. Cleanse us of our prejudice. Cleanse us of our hard-heartedness. Cleanse us, Lord, of our unbelief. Come, Lord Jesus. And I pray that you would breathe life and your spirit into the hearts of all who are gathered here in person or who are joining us on live stream. Wherever we are gathered in your name, there you are also. Lord Jesus, by the work of your Holy Spirit, May you bring goodness and truth and beauty. For you have died to make us new. Make us new, O Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth, come and renew us. Help the teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we continue in this series Love Refracted, which if you're joining us for the first time I want to explain what in the world that means. It's really from a professor working through the the Charity and its Fruits which was the most well-known book that Jonathan Edwards wrote as a theologian and as a pastor which was really a compilation of sermons that he wrote and preached on 1 Corinthians 13, but also by extension Galatians chapter five as we look at the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the things that we learn about the reality of Christ's love is that it intends to come into the life of the human being and refract through the heart to produce the fruit of the Spirit, that the Spirit intends that all the works that we do as human beings, as followers of Jesus is shaped by the love of Jesus. It isn't merely being called to goodness for goodness' sake, but a goodness towards others that is shaped by the love of Jesus. Disconnected from the fuel and power of the love of Jesus, they become merely virtues practiced in and of their own good. And the world is full, Christianity is not the only one that would list similar kinds of virtues that we've studied here in Galatians chapter five. However, what makes Christianity unique is the fuel source, is the why. And that why is nothing other than the love of Jesus Christ. But let's look together this morning as we continue in this series, and we'll do so responsibly, and we'll hear from Galatians chapter five, beginning uh, in verse 22, it's a call and response we've done in the weeks past. But the fruit of the Spirit is Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This morning as we've gone through the series we were at the fruit of goodness goodness simply defined is not a general or abstract trying to be a good person to live righteously embedded within the word that is translated goodness what is involved is the process of what does it look like me for me to move towards other people do i have their good in my vision Do I have their good as the results of my actions and attitudes and my posture towards them, including those who would be against me? And so this morning, we're going to look at the work of Jesus as he does good towards others, It's given to us in many parts of the Gospels, but this morning is from Matthew chapter eight, verses one to four, and then verses 14 to 17. Chapter eight, verse one. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See to it that nothing, or sorry, say nothing to no one, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. And then in verse 14, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we look together this morning at this passage and the work of Jesus as he seeks to bring healing to those who were brought to him and those who approached him, we see goodness at work. And what I want you to see this morning in this narrative are two things. First, his reception. Secondly, his vision. His reception and his vision. And then, thank you again, Richie Sessions, the so what. What does it matter? So, first, his reception. The first thing I want you to see about Jesus' reception of the one, this leper who came to him, is the risk that was involved. There was risk for both Jesus as well as the leper. First is the cost to Jesus. Remember that Jesus took on a human nature and so we know that he would give up his body to death so his body was vulnerable to the reality of human illness. So he took risk personally to even be in the presence of someone who had leprosy. But there was also the risk publicly that anyone who would be around someone much less touch them, who had leprosy, would have meant that they were ceremonially unclean and would not, would not be able to participate in synagogue worship. And so it was also vastly seen as a, an action that would not just take on religious sense, but a social sense of why in the world would you even be around someone with this disease? There was also risk... For the person who had the leprosy. As he's coming to Jesus, I want you to know, and we'll learn a little bit more about it in a minute, but there's no doubt that this man was at the utter end of his rope. He was risking rejection because rejection was the name of the game when you had leprosy. He would have been isolated, he would have been rejected by family, friends, and would have not been able to live around others. So he knew and would have the right expectation that why in the world would I go yet to one more, much less someone who was considered a rabbi. And then he gets on his knees and he begs Jesus for assistance. This is how desperate he was to risk yet again Rejection. And yet Jesus in the midst of that meets him in that risk. It's a risk that Jesus is now putting out in the public that he is willing to be around those who are ceremonially unclean, that he's willing to perform a miracle that will also speed forward his public exposure and perhaps from a human perspective lead more quickly to the crucifixion. Yet Jesus was willing to take that risk. But not only do we see the risk that Jesus was willing to take in his reception, we also see the nurture. And here, I know you have your Bibles in front of you, perhaps, maybe you have them, you know, open up. So I'm gonna ask you to close them if you have your Bibles open. Yeah, I'm gonna ask you to do that. Turn them off. Because the first audience who would have heard this story would not have been able to read. They only would have heard it Which means, because they were an oral culture and only would have heard things written and read to them, therefore, it would have forced them into imagination. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's not going to take much of our imagination to imagine for just a moment just how unacceptable this nurture would have been. Because... A highly infectious disease, which is visibly on another person, walking into and up to someone who would also have been around other people. Jesus didn't travel alone. And he comes to him and he asks for help. What does Jesus do in his nurturing reception? I know it's not written here, but I can assure you, as a human being who's been given an imagination, I don't think those were likely the only things said. Now, I want to be careful here, not to lean too heavily on that which is not recorded for us, but this is a human being who's been rejected by everybody else. He's now on his knees. I would imagine, though we don't know, I would imagine there was real conversation going on between him and Jesus. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine for just a moment what it was like for this man to get on his knees and to ask for help and finally this man to look his human eyes with his human eyes and make a real connection? It is real, conversational, human-to-human nurture and requires our human imagination, when we hear these stories, not to vacuum out our imagination. I want to encourage you as you engage with the scriptures to do so with your imagination fully engaged. It would have been likely dirty, this man would have been unclean in multiple ways. This man would have been likely bruised and had multiple injuries as a result of his leprosy. It would not have been an attractive picture, either the smell or the view or the desperation. Jesus receives him, and why can we not with our imagination realize that in the midst of our sin, our brokenness, Our real rebellion against a holy God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty that we've just sang. Why do we imagine we're any different than the leper? But he nurtures you and me. He receives you and welcomes us in real conversation. What is your vision of your king? King Jesus. Do you struggle with your vision of Jesus? Do you believe he really receives you? I mean, really? Does your shame get amped up? Does your guilt, do you wish you had done more? Do you know how your savior, have you imagined how he receives you? We can just stop right there. Now let's go to the table. <laughs> Why? Because the answer is he welcomes and receives you just as he receives the leper. But I'm going to ask you a question. When you hear the story, who do you imagine you are? It's hard not to read these narratives and imagine what would you have done in the circumstance. But most of the time, we don't see ourselves as the leper. We imagine ourselves in Jesus' shoes. How would we receive somebody else? But the whole structure of Christianity must begin that we see ourselves in the place as the one who is not worthy to be received, who is unclean, yet Jesus says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Regardless of your age and regardless of your status, each one of you carries something in you, some area of your life that you don't believe that Jesus really receives you. Are you bringing it to him? Are you desperate? But not just in his reception I want you to see his vision first I want you to see the dignity the dignity that he gives this man and to do so I want to explain to you the present reality of leprosy or Hansen's disease in the world today there are over 200,000 new cases of leprosy reported each year largely in the subtropics close to 4 million people around the world have in some way shape or form been impacted by leprosy but here's what happens with Hansen's disease it creates what is called and I want to get this right for the doctors in the room It creates a neuropathy at the nerve endings in the hands and the feet. But because it travels with other bacterial kinds of infection, it affects also the eyes. And it can create lesions where at the ends of the fingers and the feet, as well as on other parts of the body. And when it creates that neuropathy, that tingling, you lose the nerve and you lose the feeling Therefore, what happens as a result, you cannot understand that what you're about to do will cause you pain. You can't feel it. So that's why there would have been multiple injuries, multiple bruises and lacerations because the person who struggles with Hansen's disease, who's infected with it, can't feel the pain and doesn't know what perhaps what is even happening. But more than that, the results of this also leads patients with leprosy Are susceptible to all kinds as well of neurological suffering, of anxiety, depression, isolation, and and an enormous, probably endless number of interpersonal problems. Bathing is fraught with problems, trying to get food from others is a problem, because it is infectious and how it is treated. This is happening today. This isn't something that was back there in biblical times only. The reality is that Jesus demonstrates here that his vision, even for the person who has this kind of brokenness, this kind of disease, he wants to give them dignity. He does so because he wants to give them a voice. No one else would have given them a voice. No one would want to have been in their presence. And yet Jesus says, he says to Jesus, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. Another element of the dignity. I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed and Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So he wants this man and he gives this man a voice, but he says, now don't, don't go tell others, but I want you to go to the very people who would never have received you and demonstrate what God has done for you. Can you imagine someone who would have been ostracized Anxious, depressed, hungry, hurting, and bruised, and now healed, being told, go to the people who should have been for you, but were against you. Now I want you to go to them and give voice to what God has done. Now that is a vision for what God does in a human life. He doesn't merely forgive us, He means to bring healing and to give us a voice to tell the story. What is God doing? What has he done? Even though it might not be received, he gives them a voice. And if I may say, he's giving this person authority in his name to go tell the story of what God has done. Jesus doesn't go and parade it around. No, he gives it to this man. He gives him authority. He gives him a voice and now go. Now that is a beautiful picture of goodness because Jesus sees not just the good that needs to be done, the healing. He gives the man honor and dignity and voice. But I want to say the final thing. It demonstrates in Jesus's vision that at the core of his humanity in the core of his incarnation, as he's dealing with this man who is diseased, he does the same thing for all who are sinners and who are broken, he shows empathy. And I want to plant my flag here. I don't want to mention names, but I will say over the last year, there's been this false notion that the idea of the practicing of empathy is a sin. They've tried to redefine empathy. They've tried to say that those Christians who talk about empathy are being unbiblical, but I want to tell you if this isn't a picture of empathy, I don't know what is. Because empathy at, his, at its heart is that seeing, one, seeing someone who is in trouble, you're willing to get into trouble. Here's what I mean. Jesus sees this man who has been detached from society, thought unclean, yet Jesus, for this moment, was willing to enter into this man's world in the midst of his trouble and to take on all the implications of the trouble of his disease. Yet he wasn't infected by it. Jesus did not sin, and yet he still entered into it. Boyd Vardy, who is an author and writer out of South Africa, is, uh, his family owns a game reserve, and they do safaris, and they're conservationists, and they teach people how to understand the ways of the wild and wild animals, and tracking them, and the beauty of nature, and human's connection with nature. But he tells the story of an opportunity where he was leading a group of people on one of these safaris, and on a small break, in a beautiful afternoon, he decided to wade into a river that was crystal clear, beautiful. So he decided to find a place where he could comfortably sit. And he decided to sit on this tree that had these long roots that came out of the ground and over into the, to the small river. So he sat on the edge of that river and dangled his legs. Mm-hmm. I see you shaking your head. Where's Chris Crump, my crocodile person who doesn't like crocodiles? Well, I think you know where this is going. Um, crocodile saw some bait, and the crocodile bit down on his leg. Unfortunately, he kicked hard enough where it caused uh, the, the crocodile to either gag or something, and it left him. But before he could get all of that done, his very good friend, And co-leader, Solly, jumped into the water and was immediately by his side, while at the same time, Boyd was saying, no, Solly, no, because they know that oftentimes crocodiles will return again. But in a flash, Solly was on him, grabbed him by one arm with adrenaline, had the rifle pointing at the water, and got him up onto the bank. He had to be airlifted to um, a hospital, and he was cared for. And of course, after he came out of all of that care, he looked at Solly, who visited him in the hospital, and said, Solly, why in the world did you do that? And he looked at him. He's like, why would you ask me that? Because we are together when you're in trouble, I'm in trouble. Goodness is looking for trouble in the hearts and lives of other people and a willingness to move towards that trouble and say, how can I help? This is the work of the cross. It is the work of Jesus's obedience. It is the work of his public ministry. It is at the heart of the incarnation. We are in trouble because of sin and the sin has wreaked havoc And yet instead of saying far off, God has sent his son into our trouble and he took that trouble, yet without sin took that trouble on himself. That is empathy. That is a vision. So here's the so what. He hasn't merely done this so that we can be forgiven and feel good and received by God. Yes, that is true. All of that is true. But the work of Jesus becomes our why. If he's entered in, if he's entered into our trouble, then that becomes our why of why we go into others to help and to receive. We hear this in two quick verses, Romans chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The why is not merely activism, because doing good is good. It's also not because we're not earning anything because we can't. Is that the love of Christ has moved in to the neighborhood to create a new kingdom? a people who are motivated by the goodness and vision and reception and nurture of God in Christ, who have a deep motivation to do that for others, even those who reproach us, even those who revile us. It is not easy, but the fuel for it does not run out, the love of God in Christ. Final verse, First Peter chapter two, verse 20. For what credit is it that when you sin, you are beaten for it and you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We have received this from God in Christ. We have received back to him, and we are now released to seek the goodness of those around us for his glory and for their good. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory that through the acts of goodness fueled through christ others might see jesus and might believe in him may the lord do this in us let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your word we thank you for your goodness to us for your goodness is beyond measure you have had mercy and kindness towards us help us lord Motivated and fueled by the goodness of Jesus and the love of Jesus to seek the good of others. Give us eyes to see as you see us. And may you bless the ministry in our hands towards others that they may see Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.